Good to see you here today. I wanted to tell you that as I was listening to the second song we sing, Where I Am, There You May Also Be, the very first time I heard that song, it was an a cappella version, which I think that's the only way that Rich Mullins originally recorded it, because 14 days later, he'd be killed in a car wreck. And as I got to thinking about that song, I heard it, and it's just him and this acoustic guitar, and he made a recording of him with several songs. Uh, you can actually find this if you buy the album called The Jesus Record, where uh, Rich Mullins made these songs in an abandoned church with him and a tape recorder and a guitar. That's all, they had. That's all he had. And this song, that Where I Am, There You May Also Be, was one of them that he sang. And if you've never heard the original, at the very end of it, he was very good on the dulcimer, the hammered dulcimer. Now, if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. It's a stringed instrument where you hit little hammers. Beautiful instrument. At the very end of his recording of that song, he starts playing on this dulcimer. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You'll have to bear with me this morning. As we've been going through the book of Revelation, and as we have started a series on Wednesday, is your home in order? I've been in Daniel a while, and I keep going over the thing, is your home prepared? Are you ready? Are you ready? And we're going through that, and this past Wednesday we were in the book of Joshua, sent in the home, sent in the camp. And as I begin going through Revelation and look at everything that has been tied together, it amazes me that in the world that we live in, no matter what you watch on TV, no matter what you see, we have seen a tremendous shift in culture. And what amazed me the most is that yesterday I had a busy day and I was in Spartanburg coming home and there was this billboard that grabbed my attention. It said, love yourself first. And what I want to share with you is something the past couple of weeks I've really been burdened with as I've been studying through Revelation and studying through God's Word. I feel that Christians are beginning to be content in the current circumstances of this culture. What I will share with you this morning, it may get your attention, but it got mine. I pray that you bear with me. You see, I want you to understand that what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. And church has become something we do instead of someone we are. If you have your Bibles, I ask that you turn with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. Now, 
You can watch this on screen, but I tell you what, if you, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to go ahead and go to Revelation chapter 2. You'll see I'm going to make a connection. You can look with me with 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 7, 4, or 7, and we're going to begin in verse, uh, or first Chron, I'm sorry, we're going to begin in verse 7. And, and I, I, want, I want you to see what is, what is happening here. And what is happening is what you will find in the book of Samuel, uh, Samuel Kings and Chronicles is the historical, the historical, and that says first, but actually it's 7 Chronicles 7, 2 Chronicles 7. But, but, but what happens is, is when, when, when if you look at the historical aspect of Israel, okay, 1 Samuel to the end of Kings really chronicalizes the end of the period of the judges uh, to, the, to the monarchy and to the divided kingdoms, if you will, of Israel. And what happens is that when God gave them a, 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 a law, a law, holiness law for them to follow, there was rules and regulations that they needed to follow. Uh, and, and you look at the casuistic law and the imperative law, and I'm not going to all this, but there was a standard that they had to have. And of course, you know, they would go before the priest who would lay his hands on the sacrifice, therefore transferring guilt to cover the sins, but it didn't remove them. But see, you've got to understand that during this time, that they didn't have a solid temple, okay? Uh, David wanted to build a temple, but he couldn't. Does anybody know why? Because he was a man of war. That's exactly right. Very good. He was a man of war, so he wasn't able to build a temple. Well, Solomon, beginning in, in 2 Chronicles 3, builds the temple. He begins building this temple. That the, the ark and, and the presence of God would not rest in a tent, but in a solid building that would be dedicated as God's place. And when they built this beautiful temple, Solomon would dedicate it to him. The priests, the, the Levites, they would go through and really fall on their face and humble themselves and sacrifice and dedicate this building that God had given them opportunity to build as his dwelling place during the sacrificial system. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, Solomon dedicates this temple... God comes to him and says these words. This is the end after it's dedicated. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, and my people who bear my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. My eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayer from this place. And I have now chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, talking to Solomon, if you walk before me as your father David walked, doing everything that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne as I promised to your father David. And you will never fail to have a man ruling in Israel. However, if you turn away and abandon my statutes and my commandments that I have set up before you, and if you go and serve other gods and bow and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from the soul that I gave them, and this temple that I have sanctified for my name, I will banish from my presence. 
I will make it an object of scorn and ridicule among all peoples. As for this temple which was exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and say, Why did the Lord do this to this land and this temple? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord God of their ancestors who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. They clung to other gods and they bowed in worship to them and served them. Because of this, he brought all this ruin on them. Now I want you to go back to the first slide and I'm going to make a connection to this. Now what we have often heard, and I have heard in the ministry, is 2 Chronicles 7.14 is what we'd call a prescription for revival. Now, I'm going to go through this verse, and then I'm going to link it to Revelation 2. And I want you to see what's going on here. Now, he told them, look, if my people, okay, in verse 14, who bear my name. Now, first of all, I want to let you know right off the bat, we're talking about God's people. God's people who are called by his name, Israel, the chosen nation that he chose were his people. Listen. We're his people because of the blood of Jesus Christ. First John tells us that we are children of God. Such we are. We are his children by the blood of Christ and Christ alone. We're his children. Okay? Look what he says. So I'm telling you now, we're talking to God's people. Right off the bat. And I pray you take heed. Listen. If my people who bear my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. If they will pray and seek my face and turn, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now this is very important. Because I want you to understand what happens here. If you will read the book Bible through on through Chronicles and through the, the books and the historical books, you will find that Solomon would be the last monarch of a united kingdom. You see, Solomon had an issue. He was a great wise man. He was a rich man. But Solomon let other women and other things turn his eyes from God. Let me tell you what happened. The people lost their first love and went after things that brought their own delight. And God would split the kingdom. They turned after what they thought was right in their own eyes. If you have your Bibles, hold to that and turn to Revelation chapter 2. This has really been on me. And I'm going to make a connection here that I pray you see. Revelation chapter 2. Write to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now we have gone over this, but I think it very important we review this link. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven lampstands. I know your works. I know your labor, your endurance, that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name and, again, and have not grown weary. 
But, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned your first love. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. I want you to think about this for a few moments, and I reviewed this months back in September. But let me try to make a link to you with God's people. You see, what happened in Ephesus was 40 years earlier, Paul would praise them in the book of Ephesus. Ephesians, read the book. Tongue-tied. Church of Ephesus, Church of Ephesians. He would praise them. What happened 40 years later? They lost their first love. The great commandment is love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and and love your neighbor as yourself. When you have done that, you have fulfilled all the commandments. How is that, Chad? Well, when you look at commandments one through four that deal with God, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second six, ten commandments deal with loving your neighbor as yourself. And what you will see is people who were God's people began to turn on that which was right in their own eyes. Let me give it to you another way. An easy way to leave your first love. Think about this just for a few minutes. An easy way for you to turn from your first love is when you turn to other gods or turn to other things or turn to other gifts that God's given you instead of God who gave them to you. They fell in love with creation more than creator. They have fell in love with things more than the one who bestowed those things. Throughout the history of Israel, you would see that other gods got their attention. And let me tell you why I'm making this connection that I'll hope that everybody would see and it's been so hard on my heart. What happened? So I go back to Second Chronicles second, uh, 7, 14. It says, if my people will call by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face, and repent, and turn from their wicked ways. Now I want you to think about this for a few moments. When we hear the term wicked ways, often we think of the big ones. Murder, arson, rape, abortion. Those are bad. Those are wicked things. But let me tell you this. Anything that is contrary to the holiness character of Christ is wicked. Period. And what I want to share with you this morning, what happens when you turn from your first love is the symptoms that show you you have turned from your first love. They're not so blatant when they come into the church, but they are subtle. Now I pray with you, I pray with you this morning that you walk through me with this journey to see if this could happen to us. And I want you to understand, too, that I believe that's what's happening today, my friends, my brothers and sisters. As churches have lost their first love and their lampstand is going out. So what do you mean? Well, what happened? What are the subtle things, Chad, that cause us to lose our first love? Well, as I saw that sign, it reminded me, love yourself first. All of us have the tendency 
to want to minister to our own selves. Would you agree? And one of the first ways, I'm going to give you three things this morning that I believe that are subtle, that will turn into these rough things that will make you lose your first love. This is when it gets everybody's attention, but I'm going to tell you, and you go with me. Number one, complaining. Complaining. Everybody likes to complain. It's wired into us, right? Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. See, when we continually complain, it's not God that's abandoned us. It's us that have abandoned God. Jeremiah 2, 5 said this, What did your ancestors do that they would go far from me? It's the simple things that we complain about. You know, it, it, it often makes me wary and, and, and destroys me when it sees the simple things that we complain about. You see, now I'm not saying that we shouldn't complain when the holiness of God is being manipulated. Absolutely we should. But we have to see, is it ourselves that we're wanting to satisfy or glorify God? Let me, let me explain this to you. If you are a complainer, it means that you are not content with what God's given you. And you like looking at the fault of others instead of examining yourself. I've also found this out, and this happens in the church. If you complain about one thing, you'll never be satisfied and you'll complain about something else. You see, God does not like complainers. The Bible tells me in Numbers 14 that the Israelites cried out, Oh, it would have been better if we would have died in Egypt. When you complain, you're smacking God in the face and saying that he is not who he says he is. They complained because they were thirsty. God gives them water. They complained because they was hungry and God gave them manna. And they complained about the manna. Complaining is the first indication that you're trying to satisfy yourself instead of glorifying God. And people love to complain. You meet them all the time. As I have often said, the people that complain the most are the ones if they hit the lottery, they'd complain they're going to lose a third in taxes. You're never satisfied. But you will also find out in the Bible that God does not tolerate complaining. Read the Bible. God will deal with it. Being a complainer is never being satisfied. Now again, therefore, let, here what I'm saying is, if you can complain something that's contrary to the holiness of God and his righteousness, that's something that needs to be examined. But if you're looking for something because you want to better yourself rather than glorify God, then you've got to examine yourself. And I believe complaining in the church is one of the quickest things that will destroy it. Well, I often tell people, you know, I don't like that Tiffany who leads church, children's church. Well, I don't like that, and I'm not saying somebody said that. Go with the example. Okay? I don't like that Chad. I don't like that person over there. I don't like this person. I don't like this. You know, I, I, just, I just, you know, man, I, I just don't like it. You want a better person, you want a better preacher, you want a better children's leader, you want a better song leader, then pray for the one you have. 
Too many times we neglect and we look for excuses to whine about everything. I used to be a place where, where I worked at Mitsubishi for many years. If you went up to the canteen, they was right before the register, it had the 11th commandment, thou shalt not whine. And that often got my attention because, you know, everybody would complain about the food. I never will forget it. We used to call her Iron Maiden. She was, she, she'd be brutal to you. I mean, she would. Well, I don't like this. Well, you know, you got two choices. Either you can go hungry or you can buy it. Fair enough. And that taught me a lot. And I'm not trying to be ruthless here, but I'm trying to say I have a tendency to complain. Let me give you an example. When we took, an, when we took a sabbatical several years ago, and, and Tiffany and I, uh, when the twins were born, and I said I, I would step away from ministry for a little bit to be with my wife or the kids. I wanted to hear. I wanted to hear preaching. We, we visited a lot of churches. A lot of churches. And, and when we would go, it was very easy for me to find myself critiquing each church. Now, now go with me, because I'm on this side of it. And something just was very, illuminated itself to me very clearly. Chad, you spend more time trying to find what's wrong than trying to enjoy what's right. And God smacked me in the face. And I become a person that said, you know what? I don't want to ever be a complainer about what God's given me. I don't want to be that person that looks to everything that is so negative and never enjoy what God has given me. Because let me tell you another little thing about complaining. Complaining infects other people. Have you ever noticed that? Somebody be content to be out of the conversation. You go to complain about them, then they'll jump on that conversation. Next thing you know, it spreads like wildfire. Then nobody's happy. You see, the people of Egypt and even the church today have complained about truth. It takes me back to the book of John. Do you remember when the disciples abandoned Jesus? He said, you must drink of my blood and eat of my flesh. They say, this teaching is too hard for us. And they abandoned him. They didn't like it. And Jesus looks at the disciples, you want to leave too? Because what happened, it wasn't necessarily, let me put it to you this way. It wasn't, they wasn't being fed. They just didn't like what they were eating. And I have a tendency to do that too. And I honestly believe that the complainer's heart, just like in the Old Testament, they was never satisfied, so they went after other gods. They were never satisfied. They went after other things. They were never satisfied, so they looked to things that they could love themselves first. Number two, I believe it's another one that subtly enters the church. It's called entitlement. Entitlement. The thought that I have the right to something. There's none of us have a right to anything. God did not have to send his son Jesus to die for us. There's nobody here that deserves anything but wrath. But yet you will find out through the Old Testament and the New, just like the people of old, the church of old, 
or the, or the people of old, God's people and the church, well, I deserve something because I'm the king's. I never will forget, as long as I live, that several years ago, or many more than that, when I was pastoring a church, that a man came up and told me he was called into the ministry. And when he told me this, he told somebody else, and another man walked up here and said, I can't believe City is called into the ministry. He is beneath me. He don't know what I know. I'm educated. That wasn't a good day for me. I said, brother, you can have as many degrees as you will find in the trigonometry pro pro problem and still be a dummy. That means absolutely anything, nothing to me. Because who gives us the right to think God can use somebody instead of using us? What gives us the right to question that? Matt Chandler said this, and this moved me. He said, I acknowledge that church hurt and betrayal is a real thing, but that is the most self-righteous pronouncement I think a person can say. Are you serious? The disciples did not bail on Jesus because of Judas. To demand that you get grace and no one else does, this is self-righteousness. And to punt on Jesus because some Christian you know isn't up to your standards is a dangerous place to be standing before a holy God. Did you hear that? That's a dangerous place to be standing before a holy God is to think you are better than somebody else. Entitlement. You see, I often go back to the Lord's Supper as Paul would get on to the church of Corinth. Remember, the Lord's Supper was twisted because some people could be in good food and some people couldn't bring much. And they turned it into a party instead of worship. You hear me? Because the rich have this way to eat and the poor. Let me say something. Whether you're rich or poor, you are all dead apart from Jesus Christ. And we all wear the same clothes. Because I can guarantee you, whether you get buried in that $10,000 coffin or whether you get thrown in a hole, you're just as dead. I am not entitled to anything. I am a product of grace just like you. And you know what? Not all of us are called to preach and teach. Not all of us are called to do certain things. But if we're born again believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to glorify him and serve him for his glory. And God will put us where he needs us. Amen? Entitlement. You know, it's funny because I was, I sent this to someone the other day that people are making memes about the church now. Funny memes. There's this show on there called House Hunters. You remember the show House Hunters? Well, somebody made this parody called Church Hunters. And it's a spoof. And this couple is looking for a church, and they say, you know what, we didn't like that church up the road. It kind of left us convicted. 
we kind of left, hmm. And they go into this other church, and it says, you know, this and this, you know, you've heard of non-denominational, inter-denominational. This one identifies itself as inter-non-denominational. <laughs> oh, we like that. We like that. And they go in there, and there's different things, and you see them playing with the offering plates, and you talking about, well, how many seats does this church have? Oh, 6,000. Oh, yeah. I can see me up on stage. Everything's bright lights, and it's beautiful. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? But what was as church hunters, if you look at their whole perspective, they was looking something that would satisfy them in every single aspect of what they think their walk should be. You hear me? And they were never satisfied. And I think that is one of the biggest things in the church today is entitlement. We think that everybody deserves to give us something. And I'm going to tell you, what happens is, how I tie this together is when you have a sense of complaining and a sense of entitlement, you can see that you have lost your love for the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind and loving your neighbors yourself because you're more focused on you than you are your neighbor. You see what I'm saying? That's your first love. It's about me. It's about me being happy in all the things I've done. And I'm not saying this is happening here. Please don't hear me. But the Word of God is going to be preached whether we need to hear it or whether we think we don't. Okay? The message of God does not change. But I believe that is a disease that's sweeping through the church today. There's a sense of complaining. We've lost our first love. A sense of entitlement. And number three, listen. A sense of complacency. Somebody else will do it. You know, I got to thinking about this. That when there's a lot of people, a lot of times, it's easy to blend in and blend out. You know what I mean? And people's worship lives want to reflect that. In other words, we go to church, it's easy for us to get in and easy, us to get, easy for us to get out. Nobody will even notice we're there. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you a little story. It's been about probably, well, when we was taking our sabbatical time, we went to this church, it's a pretty good sized church, and, and they didn't have what you'd say a per meet and greet. It's kind of the same way we've done it now as you start the, the announcements and we get into singing them. Because why? We want to encourage people to get up at the first of the service and go see somebody. You don't have to have a special time of, of church to say, hey, do you? Okay? You can talk to people anytime. And we want to encourage that. Well, they had a, they had a, a, a time of of greeting, if you will, and, and it was toward the end, I think, if I remember right. I, I don't remember exactly the timing. Well, this couple walks about three pews behind us and shook the people beside his hand and said, hey, we're the so-and-sos. You, you new here? They said, no, we've been here sitting behind you for 10 years. Now, you know me, I laughed. <laughs> thought that was the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. That's Tiffany. I said, I told you, I told you. Because we get so wrapped up in our own selves, we forget the ones that are around us. Complacency. Let me get the good news from God, then I'll just disappear. And I can go on to my world. Let me tell you something. As we have heard, there's a reason why there's 7,000 unreached people groups. The easy places are taken. God did not call any of us to be complacent. God doesn't need any of us, but he uses every one of us for his glory. 
And it's not enough that we can sit idle. God talks about being complacent. You know, James tells me very quickly that faith without works is dead. It's easy for since social media that people can identify us as Christians because we say so on Facebook. But do our lives reflect it? You see, those that are serious in Christ who have found their first love, now listen to me, this is where I'm going to start making the link. Those that have, are in love with Christ know that that which he done for them cannot be repaid. There's nothing that we can do to pay that debt that was paid for us. So we worship him. And we thank Him continually because the same grace that He give us to save our soul, there's others that can be saved too. And what happens is we have to have an urgency to share the gospel. You know, I was putting all these things together and, and, and I got to thinking. I guess sometimes in our own self, and this is what convicted me, that we assume that, well, we know this is going to happen or we've done this pretty good or somebody else can do it this time. And it's easy for me to do that as well. I continually need to grow and learn in the Word of the Lord. Yes, I've been to school, praise God, and I support education. But education didn't save me, Christ did. But because Christ saved me, I want to grow in education. Does that make sense? So there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's funny, when we lived in Pennsylvania, there was a doctor's office we used to go to. This is great. I want to share this because I've always wanted to share this illustration. I'm trying to work it in. So this is a good one. So we go up to the counter, and there's a sign-up that says, don't let your Google search be a substitution for my medical degree. <laughs> got him! But I looked at my wife, and I said, you know, they were D&C students that went through medical school, too. She said, I never thought about that. Oh, yeah. I got my education too, but I didn't graduate at the top of my class. Man, I thought y'all would laugh better than that. That was a good illustration, people. Come on. <laughs> in all seriousness, in all seriousness, if we've lost our love for the one who give everything for us, and we've lost our love for our brothers and sisters, that knowledge that we have or that we think we have means nothing. Paul makes it very clear that we can speak with the voice of angels. We can share the gospel. We can beat the people over the head with truth. We can do a lot of things, but if we have not love, then our words are like clanging brass. You know what that means? It's empty noise. Have we lost our love? Are we content do we complain? You know, going back to this for a few moments, I've often found myself complaining. But you know what I've done? I've learned, especially in the world, that lost people act like lost people. So I need to act like I'm saved so people can see that there's a difference in my life. I need to come to church and worship and grow and understand that I'm not entitled. I'm nothing but a pastor, that God is called. I like that song, Casting Crowns, I'm a nobody, trying to tell everybody that there's somebody greater than me. But what I have learned is God has gotten my attention. 
And if I complain sometimes loud enough, God will get it. It's just like the old cowboy who was driving a trailer down the road with a horse in it. And in the back had that horse and had a dog. Well, he took a turn the wrong way and he wrecked his truck and his, and his trailer. As the highway patrol shows up, he sees the horse agonizing in pain. And the trooper goes up there and he shoots the horse to put it out of his mouth. Bam! He walks a few feet. And there's the, there's the dog that's in misery and pain. He, he shoots it to put it out of his misery. Bam! He walked up to the truck driver and he seen him all slumped over in misery. He said, you okay? He said, I'm perfectly fine. I haven't felt better. <laughs> now that's funny and we laugh, but there's a lot of truth to that. Let's start seeing what God has provided us with and work on it. And that speaks to me. It's easy for me to complain about what's not right. It's easy for me to complain about what's not good for the church and people. It's easy for me to do that. An entitlement. You know, I don't think I'm better than anybody, but I can tell you this. There's at times when I wish things were a little bit better. You know what I mean? Oh, man. I'm a person that has been saved by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And the only thing I deserve is wrath. But God in his rich mercy, through his son, provided reconciliation to the Father. And it's available to all those who believe. And when I repent and I follow Christ, I'm a new creation. Now, I will fail. I'm not hearing that we all don't fail. We all fail. But the life of a proven, the true, the true reflection of a true Christian is sin hurts and he turns back. I don't deserve anything. I'm not entitled to anything. And I cannot and will not be complacent. See, I believe these are the three big things that's sneaking into the church today that will cause the bigger things to happen. It's just like affairs, people. Listen to me. Affairs just don't somebody walk up and say, hey, I love you. Let's have a nice day. I'm leaving my wife. They start off subtly, don't they? I call them a textual affair. Things start off subtly. That's how sin begins. If it's always blatant, we'd deal with it a lot better. If you could listen to me and to prove that point, going back, listen, listen, this is beautiful. Going back to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, he says, You stood against the Nicolaitans. You stood against heresy. But I have this against you. You've lost your first love. That zeal, that passion you had for the good news of Jesus Christ, the one who saved you and changed you in loving your brothers as yourself, you've lost it. You may be great in some things, but that one thing negates it all. It started out subtle, people, and it ends greatly damaged. So what do we do? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that means, you know what? Depraving yourself, denying yourself, taking up your cross and denying yourself. The cross that you've been given By the blood of Jesus, humble yourself. Pray and seek. See, this is where the good news comes in, people. Listen. 
there's forgiveness at the cross. Each one of us have to examine ourselves. And let me tell you something. This past two weeks, and I don't want anybody, and and sometimes I'm told I I need to be less transparent, but look, I want to be real with you. Do you think I'm immune to the world? I have the same tendencies that anybody else does. I have to keep my eyes focused on the cross because I can't lead from behind. Amen? So I look. And I examine myself. But you know what? Just like me, just like you, if we repent and we humble ourselves, Christ forgives us. If you'll seek my face and turn from their evil ways. So if you're struggling with something, if you're struggling with these besetting sins, you repent and ask God to forgive you, and he will. But listen to me. Your focus has got to be completely on Jesus. You can't do it yourself. See, I started examining my home. Ooh. I'm struggling here. I can't be somewhere one place and be somebody else somewhere else. God knows my heart. I got to be the same man at home as I'm the same man here as the same man at work. And if I have a tendency to be a jerk at work, I'll be a jerk here. If I'm the same Chad that has problems there and complains about everything, I'll complain about things here, right? Okay? So it all starts in my own household. Do my kids see me somebody as as complains all the time? Do my kids see me somebody that's a jerk? Do my kids see somebody that says, well, daddy don't practice what he preaches? You see, understand this. It's the subtle things, it's the little things, it's the quiet things that we don't realize until they have snuck into the body and they begin to affect God's people. And I believe that's happened today because we have become complainers and people that are entitled and people that are complacent that what we've done, listen to me, Instead of transforming the outside world, we've conformed to it. We've conformed to it. We're just like they are. I was sharing this morning before we prayed. The divorce rate among, or what we call the home broken state, okay, among lost people and church people or Christians is exactly the same. There's no difference. None whatsoever. Statistically. Statistically, we saw, talked about this Wednesday, talked about this in the prayer. Listen, that 75% plus of all teenagers will leave the church when they become 18. What have we done? Is our actions reflecting and being transmitted to our kids? And said, what started subtly, like these sins, have manifested in themselves something great. We've not repented, we've not dealt with it, and we've been content to let it happen. And we wonder why we're in the state we're in. We wonder why, just in the United States, that 5,000 churches close their doors a week. What has happened? 
we've lost our first love. And I believe just like it happened here with God's people in Second Chronicles and it happened in Ephesus, it's happening today. So here's my point. Listen to me, please. Our eyes have got to be set on Jesus Christ. And we must love our brothers as we love ourselves. I want to share with you something in closing with this. How we treat others is a clear indication of how our lives are in Christ. You know, I told you about the story of the person that said that this person is beneath me because he wasn't as educated as I was. It wasn't me, it's talking about another person. But I never will forget, too. This proves a point. I forgot to put this in there. We don't put it in there today. I broke my chain of movement. Bear with me. One day, we were having a car wash at a church that I went to in this area. I was younger, and I was lost at this time. We were trying to do a family car wash and oil change for mothers and things of that nature. And the church had asked for volunteers to come by 9 o'clock so we could all start helping. And there was this lady there and her daughter. And my wife would tell you this story. As we were standing there, this family pulled up, and this couple, and they had a few kids that this lady and her daughter did not like. And she began to say things, and there again, you've got to understand, I'm lost at this point in my life. And this has been, this has been a while back. A while back. And as we're standing here, and this couple with their kids get out, that lady turns to the other women and men and said, I can't stand them people. They get on my nerves. They're ruthless. They're just, they ain't worth having. And I'm sitting here listening to this. And all of a sudden, that family walks up there, and goes, she goes, hey, great you're here. We love you. Thanks for showing up. We need everybody we can get. And that hit me as somebody threw a brick and hit me in the chest. And I thought to myself, and I told my wife, well, if that's how she loves people, good Lord knows I don't want to be hated. <laughs> Two-faced. Now, not only Christians see this, but her own child. Our lives, if they truly reflect Christ, it's not just in the church that they will see us. It's every way we walk. And see, what has happened is when we get our eyes off our first love, we start wanting to love ourselves first. Which means by loving ourselves first, we think everybody else should meet our standards. Look, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but I should never use that word as a hall pass for sin. And again, I'm not talking about when we talk about entitlement and calling people out or talking about things. I'm not talking about going against those things or contrary to the holiness of God. I'm talking about being bitter just for the sake of doing it. And we do it because we a lot of times want to glorify ourselves. What is your first love? Is your eyes focused on Christ? 
And there again, understand that when I point one finger out, I'm pointing the majority back at myself. We all got to watch because our sinful nature that is in us. And you say, Chad, our sinful nature, yeah. Let me tell tell you this. You ever thought about this? What happened when Adam was confronted by God in his sin? You remember what he did? Well, the woman you give me caused me to do it. I'm not like, is that in the text? What did he do? He blamed somebody else. Blame somebody else. It's not my fault, God. It's theirs. I didn't do it. I would not do that, Lord. So all that was wrapped up into one. That's our nature that lives in us. It's very easy to shift the blame and be content in our own misery. But there's hope. You see, I believe that God, with all my heart, has called us here for a reason. You can call it proclamation, you can call it preventative maintenance, you can call it whatever you want. But every one of us need to examine ourselves to make sure our eyes are on our first love. Because it is the subtle things that can cause sin to enter into the church and destroy it. And I just want to encourage you, listen. I don't know where everybody stands in here. You might say, Chad, you're exactly right, and I despise you, and I hope you have a nice day. That's fine. That's fine. God knows your heart anyway. But I'm going to tell you this, regardless of wherever you stand and whoever you have an issue with or whatever you have an issue with, or whether you just don't feel like doing nothing, God knows that. But here's the great news, people. His people can find forgiveness at the cross. The same cross that saved you is the same cross that will sustain you. He will forgive you. And I believe God can heal this land. I believe he can. And that's what I'm praying for revival. See, revival is not something we schedule in three months. Now, this gets me in a little trouble. The Spirit of God alone sends revival. The Spirit of God alone sends revival. It is a not man-made endeavor, but called by Christ and God alone. And I believe he can send it. And I believe that not, and here, I'm, not, I'm saying this for all, all churches, Ecclesia, the, the, the local autonomous body like us, and every other church of born-again believers that are our brethren. I believe God can do a mighty work. I believe he can. I believe he can move and he can let us be a beacon in the midst of this evil world. Lost people act like lost people. But it's a problem when saved people act like lost people. God can sustain us. And it is my prayer for each and every one of you to examine yourselves and see, am I falling short in any area? And nothing's come into this church and whammed us. But let me tell you something. It only takes one little subtle issue and we all can be in deep trouble tomorrow. That quick. And I can fall too. Remember this, and this is the entitlement thing. Remember the, the Pharisees? We're God's children of the Abraham. We're his descendants. 
One final thought. I promise. Several years ago, there was a documentary that went out about four students from Texas A&M University who went out to try to discover the meaning of Christianity in church. And they went to different countries and looked at things. And they went to these different churches and seen these magnificent cathedrals. And a statement one of the gentlemen made, I'll never forget. He said, we have built our cathedrals to God. And yet we are dead. We have built our palaces. You see, according to the old sacrificial system, God's presence would dwell. But because of Jesus Christ, he dwells in each life of the believer. For God does not dwell in those things made by human hands. This place is no more holier, holier than the people that make it up. Don't ever forget that. But we build our palaces to God. But we build our palaces to God. One church I pastored in Pennsylvania many years ago was a beautiful place, a big church, a $2 million building with 17 or 14 or 17 acres of land. And the first thing that people said when they drove by, that sure is a beautiful building. But just like Jesus told the Pharisees who thought they were entitled, man, you white, wear these whitewashed clothes, but inside you're dead. It was a beautiful place, but the church was dead. But God revived it. Listen. And it wasn't something that I did because I'm an instrument of his glory. But I believe that just like us, just like that church up the street, whatever it is, whether it's the Baptist church, whether it's the Church of God, whether it's the Apostolic Lutheran Church, whatever it is, I'm not here to be in competition with anybody. But what I am here is to say this. I want to see God glorified in Jesus' name proclaimed. And I want the little things and the little foxes that have come into the church to dispel. And then we all can work together for the glory of God. Amen? So it's not the big things that will tear you down. It's the subtle things. But I promise you, God can make those dead bones live. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for everything that you've given us. And God, I pray today that, Lord, you move among us. The Lord, you initiate the revival. Lord, I can't do anything. I can't make anything happen. But what I can do on my part is repent. God, I've been doing a lot of that lately. I've been studying your word and been convicted. And Lord, I've been moved by your power and Lord, by your word. Lord, it's a lot of times, I'll be honest with you, and you know what, I'm just going to uh, throw my heart out there. I've been like Job. I preached on it the other week, and then Tiffany reminded me when I complained about something that I preached on it. It's so easy to drift when we get our eyes off you. But God, let our eyes be focused on you. That, Lord, you saved me just like you saved that other person up the road. And God, it's not great sin over little sin. Lord, it's dead over alive. And Lord, if we're not yours, we're dead. But this morning, you're talking about those that are alive that be, need to be revived. Lord, we pray that our candlestick burns bright in this community. We pray that we seek your face in all things. 
God, we pray that if we don't have a heart to people, that we develop one through your guidance. We don't have a heart for prayer, we ask you for one. We don't have a heart for service, we ask you for one. And God, to re constantly remind us, each and every one of us, anytime we get our eyes off you, the higher the pedestal, the further the fall. Any of us. Lord, we pray you keep us in check. We are praying for revival. And Lord, I thank you for the people of Living Way Community Church. God, you know my heart. And Lord, I pray that I never become a hindrance to your body. Lord, I pray that the gospel that I preach is your gospel and not Chad's. Lord, you have given me a greater account that I will stand up for. And God, let me reflect you in all that I do. Staying true to the word. And Lord, I pray for this church. Lord, we pray for that barrier protection, that the subtle things do not break those doors. But when they do, Lord, we deal with them. God, it's very easy to stand up here and point fingers out. But Lord, the reality is this. Each and every one are cap of us are capable of anything apart from you. Mm -hmm. Lord, we pray that you keep us in your word, that you keep us on our knees, and we humble ourselves. And we don't love ourselves first. We love you first. And God, we'll praise you in all things. We love you. We thank you, and we are praying for revival for the city of Greer. And Lord, we pray that you send it. Let your fire descend upon us that we would be revived and that we would have a fire to share the gospel that others may be saved. We love you and we thank you. And all God's people said, stand and worship with us, please. Now wise fear and unbelief has not the Father put to grief His spotless Son for us? And will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin? Now canceled at the cross Jesus Trust is in your blood, Jesus. You've rescued us to your great love. Complete atonement you have made, and by your death. Have fully paid the debt your people owe. No wrath remains for us to face. We're sheltered by your saving grace. Let's break away with your love. 